All righty, all right, let's go ahead and get started. So good to see everybody here today. Happy Labor Day. Yeah, Labor Day. So good to see everybody. Hope you have some uh, exciting plans for tomorrow. Uh, just like Dan was telling you, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, this morning. You can go to our old devotional. It's the last one uh, to look at, page 205. Uh, we have a few at the back. Or uh, take this home with you today. We'll start going through this on September 11th because next Sunday we'll do our anniversary. So super excited to celebrate that. And then this morning we're going to finish off our, our, our series talking about money and uh Two Sundays ago, we looked at 2 Peter chapter 3 as a reminder that Jesus is going to uh, return. And the fact that Jesus is going to return, right, that shapes how we see really all of life, but especially money, right? And, and then last Sunday, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where we see the Macedonian people are begging to give, right? They're begging to be generous, that the Apostle Paul is uh, seeking support. For brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem, they're going through persecution. And the Macedonians, they're, they're bending over backwards uh, to give, right? Remember that? Uh, because, not because uh, of any, you know, morality on their part. They're simply just responding to God's grace. And they're so overwhelmed by his grace that they want to be helpful. Because you have brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who are going through a famine. It's like 46 A.D. It's about 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And so people are losing their homes. They're losing their lives. They're, they're not able to make it through the basic needs of life. And so the Apostle Paul is inviting brothers and sisters in Christ to help them, right? Because when we're in Christ, we're one in Christ, right? That's what we talked about last Sunday. And, and that, that's the reality of, of where we are, right? When when we lift our hands in holy worship on a Sunday morning and a brother and sister in Christ is shoulder to shoulder with us and they're struggling to, to find the basic needs of life, that's weird if we didn't do anything, right? I know we're jump, jumping in deep, but that, that's weird if we're going to be in awe of God and not, not be aware of those who are hurting around us, right? It's, it's weird right now that... That we have some parts of the world, brothers and sisters in Christ, are living in luxury. While in other parts of the world, brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted. That's weird, right? What do we, what do, we do with that? I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Like, we might have known that was happening, but we didn't actually know it was happening. But now, thanks to the World Wide Web, right, thanks to social media, TikToks and Instagrams, Facebooks, like, we know. Like, we know what's happening in villages and different parts of the world. So what do you do with that information? Like, that's, that's what God's word is going to lean in on us this morning. Like, do we just block it out? Do we just, like, keep scrolling? <laughs> I didn't see anything. I just keep going. Like, do you just keep going out to eat? Just like, I don't want to think about it. Uh, like, it, do you just walk around in shame? You're like, thanks a lot, Michael. Like, <laughs> shame and guilt and just beat ourselves up. Like, we're so horrible. Do you sell everything? That's what I want. I'm just going to sell everything, right? Give my possessions away, and I'll just live on the streets, and that way I don't have to feel that tension anymore. Like, because it's, 
it's really difficult. Like, what do we do with this information? Like, we know. Like, do you partner with organizations? That's not easy. Like, you got to do research on these organizations. And how are they using that money? And what's that money going to? And are they effective? And, and so it just gets, at least for me, it gets really overwhelming. And God's word is going to just walk us through, like, how do we... How do we respond to some of those challenges today? We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll read. You follow along. I'll tell you on the front end, the Apostle Paul is really wordy in our passage this morning. So lean in, especially our younger people. Like lean in, like got a track with me. I'll try to fill in the blanks, but uh, there's a lot of words here. He starts off chapter 9, 2 Corinthians verse 1. You see the word for, that's an explanation to Chapter 8, so he starts off, he says, for it is superfluous. That's an SAT word, right? It's unnecessary for me to write to you, that's the Corinthians, about the ministry to the saints. That's the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. He says, for I know your willingness, that's the Corinthians. He says, I know you're willing, and I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Ahia has been prepared since last year, that he's, they have some money. They've been saving. He says, your zeal has stirred up most of them. Remember, 1 Corinthians. It's written by the Apostle Paul. It's rebuke, 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 rebuke. We just finished that. 2 Corinthians, he's pointing them. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. So that in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, I know you're willing, Corinthian church, and your willingness has been shared it's been promoted amongst other followers of Jesus, and everybody's excited. And then he goes to verses 3, 4, and 5. He says, But I have sent the brothers in order that our boasting about you, the Corinthians, may not prove empty in this case, so that, that's a lot of commas, as I was saying, you, the Corinthians, will be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and they find you, the Corinthians, unprepared, then we, the Apostle Paul and the brothers, not to mention you, the Corinthians, would be put to shame by this confidence. Y'all tracking with me? Right? He's like, I've told everybody that you're going to give. Everybody's really encouraged. And so I want to make sure you're ready to follow through. Verse 5 says, so I considered it necessary to urge the brothers that they go on ahead to you, the Corinthians, and arrange in advance your previously promised, that's important, generous gift that the same would be ready as a generous gift. And not as one grudgingly given due to greediness. You following all that? Lots of words. He's essentially said, Corinthians, you have the resources. You have the desire. It's time to finish. I'm trying to set you up for success. I'm giving you a heads up. I don't want you to be embarrassed. This is what's coming. Like, are you, are you, are you ready? This is three, four, and five. Thank you. Thank you. Go along. Okay. So let's go back to... There it is right there. You following that? He's like, I don't want you to be put to shame that this would happen, right, that, this would, that you would be ready for this. This happens sometimes in our life, doesn't it? Sometimes we have a desire to help people, right? We, we want to we do something. We want to give generously. We want to help a neighbor. We want to, uh, you know, offer our, our resources to other people. But then you got to follow through and actually do it, 
Right? That happens sometimes. That's what's happening with the Corinthian church. It's happened in our family. There was a season where my, my mom was living with us. My mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and schizophrenia. That was fun, right? And, and she came to, to live with us so we could try to take care of her. And, uh, like, we couldn't leave her home alone because she would just walk off because she has Alzheimer's and schizophrenia. And we didn't have the legal authority to put her in assisted living. And so there was a season where she would come with me to work. Like, she was on my hip all the time. And so I would bring her up to the office, and I would put on a movie and, like, watch this movie. And then I would go try to get some work done. And then I would go meet with people, and I would bring her with me. And sometimes she would sit at me, uh, sit with me at the table. It was awkward. Uh, sometimes new people visiting our church, and I'm like, this is my mom, you know. And then sometimes I would sit her at another table and be like, don't leave, right? And I was Oh, my gosh, it was so overwhelming. And then one day somebody says, do you know about this organization that cares for uh, people with your mom, like your mom? And I'm like, no. And it was amazing. Like from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., I could drop off my mom. She wanted to be there. Uh, they, they would do crafts. They would do uh, food. They would uh, do games. And there were, like, other people with Alzheimer's, and there were caretakers there. And I got I cried the first day that I, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And I made a commitment in my heart, like, I want to give generously uh, to this ministry, right? And so since then, my mom has passed away, the pandemic has happened, and I'm embarrassed to say, I haven't done it yet. I have it on my to-do list, though. Like, I swear, like, I'm going to do it, and I need to finish, right? I genuinely want to support, and I will, but for whatever reason, the busyness of life or the uncomfortableness of just, like, whatever reason, I haven't pulled the trigger yet, and I need to finish. And we all have things like that in our life, where we have the desire, right? The spirit provokes our heart. We're like, I want to do something. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to write that check. I'm going to show up. God's word's leaning in and says, okay, let's do it. Let's follow through. Look at Verse 6, he keeps going. He says, now, I say this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows generously will also reap generously. Uh, so in verse 6, we see an agricultural illustration of a farmer planting seeds, right? A, a farmer is entrusted with a certain amount of seeds, let's say 1,000 seeds, he doesn't just take one of those seeds, plant it in the ground, and go inside and take a nap and expect this great harvest. No, he plants all the seeds, right? He wants to sow generously, right? And because the farmer sows generously, he's anticipating a harvest. That's an important part of our passage this morning. You could just write out to the side of your Bible or in your devotional, right, just this, this principle, right, that, that generosity in life brings a harvest, right? Financial generosity in life is going, that's what God's word is teaching us, is going, it's going to bring a harvest, right? When we invest in the kingdom of God, there's going to be a harvest that comes. Now, let me clarify, a lot of people have used that type of language to manipulate it, and so let me tell you what it's not teaching, right? Our culture says things like verse 6, like, you know, you have to manifest it. 
right? If you, have to, if you want something to happen in life, you have to speak it out into the cosmos. And if you speak it out into the cosmos, it'll come back to you tenfold. That's not what the passage is teaching, right? There's some people on television that will get on television and they'll say, if you give generously, come on, brother, if you sow generously, if you give $100, the Lord will give you, he will bring a harvest of $1,000, right? <laughs> That's not what God's word is teaching, please. That's not what the passage is teaching. Some people will say things like, well, the reason you're poor in life, the reason you're struggling in life is because you haven't trust God. You haven't sowed financial generosity, and as a result, the Lord hasn't brought a financial harvest into your life. That's not what the passage is teaching. The harvest in verse 6 is not for our glory, but for God's glory. Write that in your notes. When we sow generously into God's kingdom, there is going to be a harvest. That's what the passage is teaching. There's going to be a generous harvest that comes, but it's not going to be for our harvest. It's going to be for God's glory. It's going to bring him glory. If you give generously to our church family, it's not going to get you a house, make you healthy, and make everything in your life go great. But it is going to bring a harvest for his glory, right? So we exist today, right? There's a harvest of what we're doing today because men and women, some of which are in the room, who gave, who were casting seeds of financial generosity two to three years ago, right? Remember, we were raising money during the pandemic, $200,000 to build out this space. Those are all financial seeds so that the harvest is where we are today. There are people who are going to, you're visiting today for the first time. You're walking in the room, and you didn't do anything. You just walked into the room, and there's lights, and there's AC, and there's chairs, and there's music, and there's people. It's the harvest that you didn't do anything for. It's because of other people planting those seeds. Does that make sense? That's what verse 6 is talking about. It's not for our glory. It's for his glory. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a harvest of generosity. Now, it's possible that you might be sitting here and you might be thinking to yourself, well, Michael, verse 6 says there's a generous harvest that's going to come in. So if we've sowed generously two, three years ago, shouldn't there be a generous harvest today? Shouldn't there be thousands upon thousands of people in this room today? But we don't know what the Lord will do with our seeds of investment, right? Like, does that make sense? Like, we don't know what type of harvest the Lord is going to bring in. Like, because those seeds were planted today, two to three years ago, there's people that come through our doors throughout the week that we get to pray over, pray for, share the gospel with. We don't know what the Lord is going to do with that. We get to invite people into worship on a Sunday morning. We don't know what the Lord's going to do with that. We get to proclaim God's word. We don't know what the Lord might do in a marriage, what children might come out of that family, what children those children might have, all because of the seeds that have been sown and the harvest that's going to come in. Does that make sense? Like there's no limitations to what God might do. Uh, Just for example, like during the pandemic, we were doing these meetup Uh, outreaches to the community to teach people about communication, just to meet felt needs. And so people would come from our city, and we would talk to them about Jesus, and we would talk to them about how to have healthy layers of 
communication. And one of those people that came, uh, her name was Vinny. Vinny doesn't believe in uh, Jesus. Vinny came to visit here on a Sunday morning. Vinny's not even uh, in our country uh, anymore. But while she was in the city, she was out in the city walking around, and she talked to somebody, and she invited them to come to North Village Church. And so now there's a female that comes on Sunday mornings because of the seeds that were sown in that meetup group that Vinny's not even a part of today. Does that make sense? Like, that's an example of just how the Lord goes above and beyond on, on the harvest. It's a generous harvest. It's not for our glory, but it's for his glory. That's why the Apostle Paul uh, writes in uh, Romans 10, and he quotes Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. All right, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Because when we sow those financial seeds for his glory. Like there's no end to the harvest that might come. God's word never returns void. And we might never, never see the result of that harvest ourselves, but God's word is clear. There will be a generous harvest for his glory. Look at verses 7, 8, and 9 as he continues. He says, Each one must do just as he or she has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So in verses 7 to 9, all right, you could just write that second principle, right, that you can't outgive God, right? You, do you see that in verse 8? It says, God is able to make all grace overflow. You can't outgive God, right? The first principle, right, is that when we give generously, he will bring a harvest. It's not for our glory, but for his glory. And, and the second principle is that you can't outgive God, right, that that. that, that Oftentimes when it comes to generosity that we, we think to ourselves like, um, well, i got to hang on to stuff. Like anything that the Lord has given me, I better hold tight. I better hoard. I better, I better make sure that I cling to it, right? But, but what God's word is teaching us is that you don't have to cling to those things. Like it's just as easy for him to provide it again as he provided the first time. You can't outgive God. Like, you don't need, that's what he's saying. You don't, you don't need to worry about those things. The Lord will take care of you. Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes, The same God who takes care of me, he will take care of you. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus himself says, Give, and it will be given to you. The Old Testament, Malachi, he writes to the people, he says, Come, give your offerings, give your tithes, and the Lord will open up the the window of heavens, like he'll pour out his grace. All right, you can't outgive God. We don't need to worry about that. And it, it's not he's going to pour out his grace so that you get a bigger house and a nicer car and you live longer. And your glory, it's not about our glory, it's about his glory. But we can give generously, we can give open-handedly because the Lord will take care of you. That's why in verse 7 he says, each one is to decide. Do you see that in verse 7? Each one, it's, it's a personal decision. It's not my job to guilt you into giving. It's not my job to put up a thermometer or point to the numbers or say, aren't you, we're not going, if you don't, don't you, do you see the bra? Like, 
No, each one must decide. Not under compulsion. Not reluctantly. Like if there's anybody in our church family who's giving to North Village Church out of obligation, like please be released from that. Like you don't need to give. God doesn't need you to give. Like he, he is going to accomplish his purpose. That's why at the end of verse 7, he says, The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Right, that we're so in awe of God's grace. The Macedonians are begging to give. That means we're, we're skipping. Like, <laughs> yes. Like, how else does a person get to that place other than they're just in awe of God's glory? It's not to earn his favor. It's in response to the favor that he's already shown in Christ. Does that make sense? Like, nod your heads. You're like, yes, that makes sense. You're like, no, that does not. I can, I can go through it again. Like, Yes, it's so important. It's usually at this point that, you know, people are asking the real life question of like, well, how much do you give to be generous? That's a difficult, like generous is kind of an abstract word. Like one dollar amount might be generous. Another dollar amount might be generous. Depends on the person, right? Wouldn't it be nice if we had like little meters in our arms? Like generosity achieved. Like you could, that way you could know, right? Just like, oh, thank But we, we don't have that, right? Some people go to the Old Testament. There's the word tithe in the Old Testament, so 10%, tithe, 10%. And so some people say 10%, but in the New Testament, we see that Jesus gave his life. Jesus gave us everything, right? And so it isn't 10% for the Lord 90% to do whatever I want to do with. That's not what we see in God's word. It's the framework in scripture is 100% of our lives. And so what do you do with that? Like how do I give 100% of myself to the Lord? And, and, and what does that look like practically? And 10% for some person could be too little. I mean, sometimes the Lord has blessed us so much, he's given us so many seeds and resources to spread generously that 10% wouldn't even scratch the surface. And for some people, 10% would, would be significantly difficult. Like they wouldn't be able to make it to work on Monday. And so how, I don't find the percentage that helpful. I find a, another pastor said this from a long time ago. He, he gave me this grid is that we, we give as much as we can. We save as much as we can, and we spend as much as we can so that those three areas are in tension with one another. I, I found this incredibly helpful, right, that I, that I would look at the resources the Lord has given to me, the seeds that he's entrusted to me, the talents, the finances, the abilities, the time, the physical ability, emotional capacity, like he's entrusted these seeds to me. And so, one, how can I save as much as I can? It's godly to save. Right? We don't want to be so generous that we don't have any savings. We don't want to, we don't want to give away everything so that now we, we're not able to help people. That's not, that's not effective, right? And so it's wise. Proverbs chapter 6 says the ant, she gathers in the harvest. It's, it's wise. I think it's Proverbs 13 that the, 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 the righteous uh, father leaves an inheritance for his children's children, right? And so that it's... It's wise to have an emergency fund. It's wise to have three months of savings. It's wise to, to invest into 
retirement, but we don't want our finances to be solely into our savings, right? So that's why we, we spend. It's godly to spend, right, to, to buy things that we enjoy. We have a loving heavenly father who has given us different personalities and, 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 and quirks and, and interest, and he delights when we spend money on those things, when he's blessed us with resources to buy those things. He delights, like an earthly father who delights seeing his children play with the toys that he's purchased for them. So our Heavenly Father, how much more delights in seeing us spend. And so it's godly to spend, but we don't want to just spend, right? Especially in our culture today. There's so many trinkets. There's so many things to buy. There's so many sparkly things to find an interest in. But we know that those trinkets, they fade, right? That the clothes wear out, and the vacations are forgotten, the cars break down, the furniture wears out. Like, we know that. So we, we save. We can't just be just savings. We spend. It can't just be just spending. And then we are generous, right? We give, and we give as much as we can, right? So just getting as practically as I can, just kind of look at your life, and then we're just going to kind of go outwards, right? And so you have you have yourself, right? You spend some money on yourself. And so then when it comes to generosity, you start. Maybe if you have a marriage, if you have a spouse, right? It would be wise to be generous with your marriage, to invest in your spouse, to budget going on a date, to buying resources. Go to a conference. Listen to that book. Like, buy that resource. Like, that's wise. Our, our marriage is at the foundation, and we're building off that marriage. And so it's, we want to give generously to our marriage. We want to give generously to our children. All right, this is difficult, right? My kids are here this morning. They're like, yes, Lord, amen. They've never been so engaged in a sermon. Give generously to our, our children. It looks different. It doesn't have to be expensive gifts. But as a, a loving father and a loving mother, we want to consider, like, how can I pour out God? God's grace has been poured out richly upon me. How can I be an extension of his grace in the life of my children? We have extended family. We have, we have in-laws and, and parents and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews. And so we would consider Right? You, you can't just kind of casually throw a little money in the plate at church, right? I mean, you, you have to, if you're going to be generous the way that God's teaching us to be generous, like you have to be intentional. You have to have a budget. You have to ha- ha- have a plan that you're putting into place. And like, how am I going to be an extension of God's grace in the life of my extended family? Like for our friends, surely we would be generous to our friends, right? We would pour out blessings of like, hey, here's a gift. It doesn't always have to be items. It doesn't have to be expensive. It can be a note. It can be a meal. It, it can be a service. And it, it's just a way to just pour out generosity to our friends. As we live in our city, do you see, as we're going out, right, we're starting and we're going out. As we live in our city, there's opportunities to be generous, right? So when we go places, we would tip food servers, right? It would be weird for us to sit at a table, to pray before a meal, to speak of God's glory, and then be cheap with a tip at the end of food service. That would be weird, right? So no, we, we pour out generously to those food service. We're looking for creative ways. We're strategically thinking about creative ways. And so it can't all go to food servers. And so you have to, you have to structurally itemize and think about in a strategic way how you're giving. And then verse 9, right? Verse 9 
We see the heart of God bends towards those who are in need. So it isn't just our marriage. It isn't just our children, extended family, our city, teachers, and our community. But there's people on the fringes of our culture. There's people that are hurting. There's the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the homeless. And that we would wrestle. What does it look like for me to be generous to the people the Lord has placed in my, my life? Right, we have QR codes on the other side of this wall. There's different areas in our city and around the world. Right, what would it look like for us to, to find an organization and say, I'm, a percentage of my generosity is going to go to those organizations We've tried to vet and research some. You can do the same and find ones that align with your heart, your area of interest. You could start with just one. I'm just going to find one. I'm going to ask the Lord, Lord, over time, would you help it become two? Would you help it become three? And that we would look for, we would look for ways that it would go beyond Austin, that the Lord has blessed us here in Austin, Texas, to touch lives of people in India Korea and Australia and Chile and Kazakhstan, all those stands. Like, I can't even, like, Kyrgyzstan, you know, they're like, like, just that we would be, like, have a global perspective. And maybe it's dollars. Like, what's my dollar going to make a difference? It's just a dollar. It's a dollar, right? It's a dollar. And it's that mindset that the Lord didn't, his blessing doesn't just terminate with me, but it's an extension to the world for his glory because we know his word doesn't return void and we sow generously, there will be a generous harvest. Yeah? Let's talk about the homeless in our city real quick. Like I get it. It's very difficult and it would be really easy. We're in a, in a, in a, in a, in a mental health crisis. It would be really easy for us to close our hearts to the homeless in our city. We know addiction is involved. We know poor decisions are involved. We know mental health uh, is involved. And it would be easy for us to just kind of turn our head and close our hearts and say, they don't deserve it. But aren't we glad that we have a God that sees our mental health, our poor decisions, our addictions, and doesn't withhold his grace in our life, right? And so I just want to caution you, like, we can't just close our hearts and just say, well, they don't deserve it because they made some bad decisions. Each of us needs to wrestle with what does it look like. Like We can't just open up the gates and say everything, but we also can't just close our hearts for the good of our own hearts. We can't just conclude they don't deserve it. We have to wrestle, not because they deserve it, but because God's grace is that good. And he just pours out his blessing, each one of us. Not under compulsion, needs to wrestle with that decision. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. He says, Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. So in verses 10 to 11, we see our third uh, principle, right? We see the first one is that uh, if you give, there will be a harvest, right? 
The second one is that you can't outgive God, right? He's going to take care of you. And then the third one here is that when you give, he will give more to you. What? Like, keep in mind, it's not that he's going to give you more to get that mansion, to get that house, and so that you can have great health and not have any problems. It's not he's going to give you more so you get the glory. If we are sowing generously, why would he not give more to you because it's all to his glory? Does that make sense? That's what he's getting at in verse 11. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. That's the invitation of God's word. Like as we steward the resources, the seeds, whether it's five seeds, a hundred seeds, a billion seeds, we all get different amounts of seeds. And as we sow those things generously, he will return a harvest. It will be for his glory and not for our glory. And as we do those things, he will give us more, more to give unto his glory. Right? That's the invitation of God's word uh, this morning. All right, to give our lives to his glory, to take the resources that he's given us, financial, emotional, skills, habits, everything, and say, Lord, my life belongs to you. I want to live for you. My marriage belongs to you. My kids belong to you. My future belongs to you. I want to live to you. That's the invitation of God's word for us, to give ourselves, a whole of ourselves to these truths. And so, I, mean, I think that's a better invitation than anything our culture has to offer today. Right now, our culture is offering an invitation to fear. This is my opinion. I think you read the headlines, you watch the news, you look at movies, you listen to songs, and the overarching theme in our culture today is, aren't you afraid? I mean, we're all going to die any minute now, so be afraid. I mean, it's so hot outside. The climate change, it's just going to get hotter. You know, this is the coolest it's going to ever be. We're all going to die. And I just like, rah, 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 right? You know, the nuclear war is coming. New Russia and China, you can't trust them. You think this president, you're going to follow that one? Oh, my gosh, we're all going to die. You know, our economy is horrible, right? The economy is falling apart. Aren't you afraid? Like, any minute now, this country is going to disappear. Aren't you afraid? Like, it's all like, you know, there's a food shortage, right? You know, there's a population over, under. You know, the soil is a problem. I just heard this recently. Like, we've ruined our soil. There's another thing to be afraid of. Like, we've ruined our soil. So we got to go get new soil. I don't even know what it meant. I was just like, okay. It's like everywhere you turn. And that's on top of the other things that were already scary. Like it was already scary having acne and being overweight and talking to a doctor and fighting with your spouse and like, like not getting sleep and having a headache. Like it's just like, oh my gosh, that's the best our culture has to offer right now. Our young people, it wasn't always this scary. Like that's the invitation, like we're all going to die. Be afraid. And what the result is, is that you want to cocoon yourself. Do you feel it? Better not leave your house. You better not talk to that person. You know black people and white people can't get along. You know everybody's racist. You know everybody's out to get you. Don't talk to that coworker. You know if you said that word, like you better just insulate and hibernate and shut down. And oh, come on. <laughs> the gospel, the gospel has an invitation to the fears of our day. I'm not trying to say the world's not scary. The world is scary, and. In, John chapter 16, Jesus is sitting with his disciples. Is perfect. He's about to go to the cross. He's not trying to tell you to sugarcoat the world's not scary. And, 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 and he says, uh, take heart. He says, take heart. There will be trouble in this world. 
take heart, there will be trouble in this world, but I have overcome this world. That's the gospel. The hope isn't that we can somehow manufacture our lives so that we never have any fears and never, everything's always great and we never have to be uncomfortable. That's not the hope. That's never going to happen. The hope is that Jesus has confronted the scariest thing in life. He's come face to face with death and he's conquered death. Right? That's the hope of the gospel. It's not, it's not unrealistic to want to be free from fear. We're just a little ahead of the game. <laughs> there is going to come a day when there is no fear. Right? There's going to come a day when there is no pain, when there are no tears. It's just not yet. Right? Until then, the invitation of God's word is to look to Jesus, to trust in Jesus. Jesus is the one that looked fear in the eyes, put it to death, conquered it in the resurrection so that we can have peace, so that we can walk in the headlines of the day. We can go to school and hear the horrible things that are taught and the potential things that could happen to our kids and go into work and neighbor and like, yeah, but we have Christ and he's overcome this world and we don't need to be afraid. We have him. He says, I'll be with you forever. That's the hope we have. Listen, if you've yet to believe in Jesus, you need to do that this morning. Like trust in Jesus. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. There'll be people at the back to pray with you, to pray for you. Like, believe in Jesus today because he is the hope that we have to live generous lives, right? To live generous lives. Let's close it off with verses 12 to 15. He says, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints in Jerusalem, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. You see, it's a ripple a ripple effect. He says, because of the proof given to this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality, for the generosity of your contribution to them and to all. Do you see the, the multiplying effect? Like it isn't just the profession of faith. It isn't just the generosity, but it's, it's blessing the people in Jerusalem. It's blessing the people in Macedonia. It's bringing glory to God so that he writes in verse 14, he says, while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. It's knit your hearts together, right? That's what he's talking about. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, right? Verses 12 to 15, the Apostle Paul closes with encouragement to the Corinthians, you're going to finish. He's just assuming you're going to give. And when you give, it's going to bring encouragement to the Macedonians, encouragement to the Jerusalem church, and it's going to bring glory to God. I think in the same way with our church family, right? In the same way, man, the Lord has brought us too far to stop us now. Look, we have challenges. We have troubles. We have hardships today. I just don't, I just, I don't think that he brought us through like 10 years of like setting up and breaking down in public schools and trying to figure this out and then brought us into this space for it all to fall apart. I guess it could happen, but I just don't think that he's brought us to this point. And so I want to invite you like to give to North Village Church, right, that you, you wouldn't just like go on vacation and go buy clothes and go buy food and go see a movie, and if there's anything left over, like, I guess I could give, but that your hard attitude would be of God's word, that when I give to North Village Church, it's because I believe in North Village Church, that I believe that when I sow financial gifts into the North Village Church, that it's going to produce a harvest that we could never measure, 
right? It's beyond our imagination what the Lord could do through the lives of the people in North Village Church. That absolutely, we hope we're just scratching the surface of our interaction with homeless people in our city. They come through our doors throughout the week. And we don't just open up the treasure chest and be like, what do you need? Like we're trying to develop principles of learning how do we come alongside them so that by God's grace, our dream is that we can have a proven track record of seeing people get off the street into a stability of life. Our city hasn't been able to figure it out, right, spending millions of dollars. And I'm praying, our elders are praying that God would give us supernatural opportunities to see that happen with the homeless community in our city. But in order for that to happen, it takes resources. It's just reality. It takes, it takes funding. We, we love the elementary children sitting through our worship service, bobbing and weaving. Our parents are so gracious, like, all right, I'm not sure how this is going to work. we got guides in the back. We're trying. But that's not our goal. Like, our goal isn't to get, just bob and weave and get by. Like, our goal is that elementary children would have a place to go and to hear God's word, that they would have resources, that we would have community outreaches, that they would have places to invite their friends. But that all takes resources. So we invite you to give, right, to give to North Village Church so we can take those types of steps. With our AV, don't you love what Jazz and the worship team is doing with our music on Sunday mornings? Like, the only reason we have lights and mic stands and, and cables today is because two to three years ago, people made an investment. And praise God, there's a harvest of hearts that are singing out to the Lord. So it doesn't take a large imagination. Can you imagine that as we give more, as we have more resources and more opportunities, just more worship and singing that can take place on Sunday morning? That's the invitation. And so I invite you, not begrudgingly, but that each of us would discern in our hearts Man, what has the Lord called me to, to do in this area? That it would be off the top, not what's left over, and that we would trust the Lord to provide. And that as we give, it doesn't have to be a high dollar amount. Start with a dollar, I, I, whatever, whatever it is. It's trusting the Lord as he sees us manage. That's what God's word is teaching. That he'll give us $2 to manage and $3 to manage. Right? And then as we partner in the gospel, that we are becoming spiritual partners in the gospel. Does that make sense? Right, that, that when, when we're meeting with homeless people, that you may not be specifically having that conversation, but because you've partnered financially with North Village Church, you're involved in that conversation. Does that make sense? Next Sunday, we're going to baptize people, and you may not get wet. The majority of us will not get wet in that experience, but, but when you give financially, it's as though you're involved in that baptism. Does that make sense? Because you're a part of our church family. When we lead people, we counsel people, when we train people, when we help people reconcile conflict, like you may not be in those conversations, but you're a partner in the gospel. That's the invitation. So let's lower the lights. Let's invite our worship team to come to the stage. And there's just a twofold response this morning. It's just twofold. Like, first, if you've yet to trust in Jesus, like, believe in Jesus today. There's no, there's no greater purpose in life than to give your life to Jesus. Everything else in life will fail you. Everything else in life will abandon you. Romantic relationships, economies, political parties, friends. Jesus is the only one. He says, there's trouble in life. I'm not going to lie to you. There's trouble. I've overcome all of it. If you've never believed in Jesus, won't you do that this morning? 
There's people at the back to pray with you. You can come talk to me. Confess with your mouth. That's the first response. The second response is that we would follow through. That when it came to generosity, that it wouldn't just be a desire. That's not the intent of God's word. It's not to give us warm fuzzies this morning. But that we would do financial accounting with the Lord. And ask the Lord, how much? What are the areas of life that you've entrusted to me to be generous? Father, I pray that every man, woman, and child in this room would be brought to that place. That we can know what it's like to see our hearts open up to generosity. Not because we've been strong-armed into generosity, but because... We've been in awe of your grace in our life. Whether it's to North Village Church, whether it's to a stranger on the street, whether it's to an organization around the world. Father, would there be generosity that, that overflows in the lives of the men, women, and children of North Village Church? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.